We're finishing up the book of Mark in the daily devotional this week, last uh, four or five chapters. Several weeks ago, as we, I worked through Mark 5, um, I read this passage as you did uh, if you use the daily devotional. There was one particular statement that was made that I made the object of a lot of thinking and praying and meditation. It's in verse 36. When Jesus says to Jairus, do not be afraid, only believe. In Greek, it's just four words. Uh, if I were to try to have just four English words to match up what, are, what those four Greek words say, it would be something along the lines of stop fearing, only believe. That's the basic idea, but your translation has it right here as well. Before we get to that, uh, let me back up. The worst thing I could do is just take that statement and run with it. It's given any context, and we need to understand that. And so I want to walk through that context here so that you are fed, so that you know how to handle God's word accurately, uh, so that you are encouraged. So the context here in verses 21 to 43 is first we have in verses 21 to 24, Jairus, this synagogue official, and he begged Jesus to heal his daughter. Verse 21, when Jesus crossed over the, again by boat to the other side from the, uh, I think it was the east side of the Sea of Galilee to the west side, um, a great multitude gathered to him and he was by the sea. Then we read about Jairus, verse 22. Behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw Jesus, Jairus fell at Jesus' feet. And I say here first, Jairus was a synagogue official. He was not a full-time official. He had a day job. He could be kind of compared maybe to like a deacon in, the, in that sense. Uh, he took care of uh, the building, things responsible for the services. Um, he made sure that the Roomba was working to vacuum the floor. Uh, things of this nature, okay? He would be a respected man in the Jewish community. And we need to see here, it doesn't matter who you are, you will face the effects of sin in some way, regardless of who you are. Beginning of verse 23, we read of Jairus' sick daughter. Jairus begged Jesus earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. You could write down the parallel passage, Luke chapter 8, verse 42. Luke chapter 8, verse 42. Luke tells us this was Jairus' only daughter. And she was 12 years old. His only daughter, this 12-year-old, was about to die. She was about to pass from life to death. And once you die, there's no return. There's no bringing her back. Try to picture that scene. In that home, mom and dad, their only daughter, sick for who knows how long. They try different things to no effect. And she's finally at the point where her breathing perhaps is hard and labored. 
here's this 12-year-old. When you think of a 12-year-old girl, what do you think of? Well, girls who are in their teens, they look back to their 12, 13-year-olds, and they call that the awkward age. All limbs. They're learning about uh, doing their hair and things like that. You don't think about death, though. You don't think about them taking their last gasp of air. You don't think about looking at a 12-year-old girl in her bed just barely hanging on to life. What do we learn from this? Death comes to everyone, doesn't it? doesn't matter if they're 2 or 12 or 22 and so on. And that means that's something that everyone here needs to consider. You do not know the day of your death. You don't know how old you will be. We like to think, I'm going to live to be 82 or 92. But not 22. That's how old I was when I got type 1 diabetes, which up until 100 years ago, was a fatal disease. You don't think about a 12-year-old dying of something. But that was the case of this girl. We read next at the rest of verse 23 of Jairus' faith. My little daughter lies at the point of death. Here's his faith. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed, and she will live. Jairus knew who Jesus was. He's the Messiah. And he not only saves from sin, but he gives life. And he had seen and heard about how Jesus healed the sick, cast demons out, and done great things. He believed, believed if Jesus came, he can heal her sickness. And if she gets healed of her sickness, what won't happen? She will not die. So verse 24, Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Then we read in verses 25 to 34, of this woman with an incurable condition postpones Jesus. Now, I had in my original, or my corrected notes, postpones in quotes, and I forgot to do that for your uh, notes there. This is postpones from our perspective, isn't it? It's postpones from our perspective. Verse 25. A certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. And we hear that and we say, yeah, we know what that's talking about, don't we? She spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Now, in Jewish life, this would have made her unclean from a ceremonial perspective. She could not have social contact with anyone. She couldn't go worship. Her friends and family couldn't physically be near her. 
Verse 27. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Her faith in him, not the garment. Don't make that mistake. Jesus says, go in peace. Be healed of your affliction. Imagine what was running through Jairus' mind during this occasion. He knows his daughter's breathing her last. Go quickly and get Jesus. Track him down. Bring him to the house. And he gets stopped. No, he stops. This is worse than being in an emergency, coming to a light, and you see it's green, it turns yellow, and then it turns red. Maybe not an emergency, but you're in a hurry. An emergency, you're going to probably run that light, aren't you? Jairus, undoubtedly thinking, hurry up, my daughter's dying. You're just bleeding. Since the time he got to Jesus and started leading her, him to his house, what gripped his heart and mind? What was he worried about? What was he looking for? What was he frightened? He was frightened that Jesus wouldn't get there in time. And that if he didn't get there in time, she would what? Die And once you're dead, there's nothing you can do. Verse 35. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Well, there's a comforting statement, isn't it? Don't bother Jesus anymore. She's dead. There's no hope of healing her anymore. Nothing can be done. Jairus' fears were realized. Oh, if we only hadn't stopped with this woman. Imagine what was running through Jairus' mind. I mean, many of you have had this experience of being told a loved one has died. What do you do? What's your mental response? Do you just kind of, oh, and kind of go on your way? No, you're... Jairus' faith leaves in a big gasp. It's too late. It's too late. And then Jesus comforts Jairus and goes to his house, verses 36 to 39. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, note what's how Mark says that, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken. He said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, 
only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. He came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Look at Jesus' command there in verse 36. First, he says, do not be afraid. Stop fearing. In other words, stop being controlled by what circumstances say I can't do. Don't be controlled by what circumstances say I cannot do. Then Jesus says, only believe. It's the idea, keep on believing. Not once, but continually keep on believing. Jesus says to Jairus, I am the creator. I'm the Christ. Don't let sin's curse and effect limit me. With me, nothing is what? Impossible. And let me give you some scriptures just to maybe write in your margin or right underneath here. That very truth that shows that Jesus isn't just giving a pat answer and you're going to be okay and everything will work out. Don't be afraid. Only believe. But Jesus is going to do something here. There's Matthew 19, verse 26. Matthew 19, verse 26. With men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Mark 9.23. Mark 9.23. Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Go in the Old Testament. Genesis 18.14. Genesis 18.14. Old Abraham and old Sarah have no kids, but they're promised children. And God says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Numbers 11.23, Numbers 11.23, God promised that all Israel would have more meat than they could ever hope to eat. How can this be, Moses said. And the Lord said, has the Lord's arm been shortened? And he's not talking about the length, he's talking about his ability to act and do things. Job confessed this, Job 42.2. Job said, I know you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Isaiah 59.1. Isaiah 59.1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is his ear heavy that he cannot hear. Last, Luke 1.37. Luke 1.37. Young girl, engaged to be married. An angel tells her that you're going to have a baby and that baby is going to be the son of God. And Mary asks, not in doubt, but merely how the mechanics of this is going to work out because you got to be married to have a baby. And she's not married. And you remember what God said to her through Gabriel, the angel? With God, nothing will be impossible. Keep on believing. And me, the creator, the Christ, don't let sin and its effects in creation affect your assessment of me. Then verses 40 to 43, 
we read how Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. And note, they ridiculed him. Who's that? Well, that's referring to the people who were weeping and wailing. Boy, what an emotional shift to go from weeping and wailing to ridiculing Jesus. These are probably uh, professional mourners. Very pop. It's what they all did in Jewish times back then. That's hard for us to grasp, but that was their culture. They knew this girl was dead. Verse 40 again. They ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumai, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and woke, walked, for she was 12 years of age. And they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that one, no one should know it and that something should be given her to eat. You can tell she was almost a teenager needing to eat right away. I want you to note one thing before we get into the, the meat there. Verse 36, Jesus command, do not be afraid, only believe. About Jesus' response to this miracle, verse 43, he commanded them strictly that no one should know it. That is in contrast to today's miracle faith healers who advertise, come and get your miracle or come and see these miracles. Jesus never did that. Never. He said, come here and believe. The miracles were but signs. And it's not about the sign, is it? It's the destination, and the destination is Jesus Christ. Let's focus now, having seen the context, focus on the end of verse 36. Jesus, note how I worded this, comforting command. It's in the back of your handout there. It is a comforting command. We don't always think about commands as comforting, do we? But this is a comforting command. Command. What is fear, first of all? What is fear? I have a great big long definition. It's not very helpful to give a long definition, but there's a lot of things in, in, wrapped up with this. You could define fear as a negative emotional response, a feeling of hopelessness, nothing you can do. It's negative. It's an emotional response. It's your negative emotional response you have to either something that could happen or has happened. And your assessment of what does this mean? And I want you to see right away. The focus is on you. What your assessment was of the situation and your conclusion of what this means and what this means for God. And it is a negative assessment emotionally of hopelessness. There's nothing we can do. Everything bad is going to happen. 
your intellect is involved. It's not just an emotional thing, but your mind is involved in this. How so? You have been watching. You've been making conclusions. You know from your experience and maybe things that you've read and studied, when this happens, this happens. And you know how this situation is going to play out. It is living by sight. It is the result of living by sight. And don't just think that the only people who respond emotionally this way are the people who are emotionally unhinged or the poor people of this life or those who don't have training or those who aren't very important in this life. Who was fearing here? It was Jairus, a leading man in the city, in the community. He had position. He had influence. He undoubtedly had money. He had a family. All these different things. Yet, he feared. The second thing is faith. Believe. This is not merely a call to simply believe. You hear that today, don't you? Well, you just need to believe. In fact, I would not be surprised if this statement has been taken out of context, slapped on a bumper sticker somewhere, and it just you just read it and, yeah, I just need to have, believe in my, who? Myself. Maybe somebody will say, believe in the government. Well, their faith is definitely misplaced, isn't it? Believe in money or your intellect, your degrees that you have. Believe in my own strength. Trust in your own strength. Trust in your angels. They'll protect you. Trust in some false religion. This is not an empty, just believe, a leap in the dark. True faith has content, a solid base and foundation. You know it. You understand it. You depend, rely, and submit to it. Faith is your reliance on what God has said about himself and his promises. Those are the two aspects of faith to really get here. Faith, the content of it, who is God, and what are the promises that he has made, his person and his promises. Faith is not based on your thinking, your assessment, your feelings. It is based on God's truth, and that must control and direct your emotions and your expectations. I want to give you a scriptural example of this. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 to 18. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 to 18. Some of the Thessalonian Christians were dying. And that was alarming to some of the Thessalonian Christians. They thought Jesus was going to come again before any of them died. And here, Jim and Mary and Bob, those are the Greek names, right? They died. Lord, what's going on? And so Paul says to them in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13 to 18, there's three phrases I'm going to emphasize here. The first is this, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. To be ignorant means you don't know. Then he says this, 
Do not sorrow as those who have no hope. Hope is not a shot in the dark. It is faith. I know that's going to happen because of Jesus Christ and what he's promised. Don't be ignorant. Don't sorrow as those who don't have any hope. And then the third thing is the end of verse 18. Comfort one another with these words. Faith has content. It has a foundation. It has a basis here. You must be controlled by God's truth, Christian. You must depend on God's truth. Emotions are a roller coaster, aren't they? We had that roller coaster yesterday. We were at that point, Maranatha's dining hall, five minutes to ten. We know we got to leave Lydia, but no one wanted to get up and make that first step out because we know the floodgates will come out. They were already crying. And we did. The emotions were there. Emotions are hard. They're real. And this doesn't mean you submerge them and and push them away. And remember what Paul said? I don't want you to sorrow as those who have no hope. What does that imply? We do sorrow. But it's not a hopeless sorrow. It's a hopeful sorrow. Because there's truth. And that truth is centered on Jesus Christ and his promises. You must believe who Jesus is, what he has said, and what he will do. Number three, then the command, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Unbelief is the seed that the poisonous weed of fear grows from. If you do not have faith and all you have is unbelief, that is a seed. And what's going to grow from that seed? A poisonous, noxious, deadly weed of fear. And once fear grips you, it controls you. Jesus, look at this. His daughter just died. He commanded Jairus, do not fear. Respond from my point of view, not your point of view. Christian, don't think and don't feel from your point of view, from Jesus' point of view. Fear is the opposite of faith because your response is being controlled by what's seen. The fact that this is a command to me, I think to you, should be good news. It's good news because it helps you see that you do not have to be enslaved to your feelings. It doesn't mean that those feelings aren't real. It doesn't mean that you don't feel them, but you are not enslaved to them. You are not enslaved to them. By Christ's salvation, he frees you from the fear of sin and death. You have been freed from the power of sin and its effects. By Christ's salvation, you've been freed from it. 
and the Holy Spirit indwelling you, Christian, when you're walking with him, you will experience the fruits of the Spirit. And what are those fruits? Love, joy, and peace. And we read those here when she was raised from the dead. This is commanded. Do not fear. Stop fearing. And then, last, only believe. This is the only thing that you should do. I want to dig into the Greek behind this word only. The Greek idea of this word only is only. Oh, you're disappointed, aren't you? That's what it means. Not, well, I need to trust the Lord and I need to get some psychological help. Or I need to trust the Lord and I need to get this financial thing. I need to trust the Lord and go to this conference and go to this concert and do all this. And No. What did Jesus say? Stop fearing and what? Only believe in me and what I promised. Who I am. That is the only thing you should do. And I want you to get this. How many things cause fear? I'm going to give some examples in a little bit. Lots of things cause fear, don't they? Lots of things cause fear. But there's only one person that you believe in. Lots of things cause fear, but there's only one person that you believe in. You don't need a bunch of different kind of cures for all these different fears. This is a good news, Christian. All these different fears, all these effects of sin... There is one cure for all of them. It is the person and the promises of Jesus Christ. This means no matter what you fear, the answer is always Jesus Christ. And so you must always respond with faith in Christ. You might well say, I'm having a hard time doing that. That's not unusual. Not only did we have the opportunity to get Lydia settled in, but guess what else we got to do in Wisconsin? We got to see our grandchild, cute little Beatrix. I held her, and she didn't really cry too much. Miracle. Got to play with her a little bit, have some fun with her. She wasn't very good at talking with me about dispensationalism. I was disappointed in that. I tried to talk with her about the ins and outs of the prophet Habakkuk in the Old Testament, and she just, eh. I don't know what her parents are doing. I'm just not getting it. I'm disappointed. And you might say, she's a what? Baby. She's an infant. Of course not. And the same thing happens with us as Christians. When you're a brand new Christian, you're used to fearing. And this whole believing thing, it's hard. You may be farther along in years as a Christian, but you really haven't matured as you should have. And so your response is still fear. Instead of believing, I've got good news for both situations. There's good news. And you grow in your faith. You grow in your faith. How 
How is faith strengthened? Four ways that faith is strengthened. The first is through Scripture. The first is through Scripture. This is God's truth. Faith is the basis. The basis, the content of faith is God's truth. And so when you're going through a hard time, you don't need less of God's word. What do you need? More of it. You need to be in your Bible more. Turn the TV off. Be with God's people more, not less. A second way that your faith is strengthened is by prayer. Prayer. You have heard the word. You've gotten this promise to help you. Now, through prayer, you have to commit yourself to the Lord. Lord, help me not to fear, but on the basis of this truth, help me, Lord, to trust in you. Through prayer, submit to the Lord. Through prayer, respond with thanksgiving. Scripture, number one. Prayer, number two. A third way that the Lord has given for you to grow in your faith. Are you ready? Is trials. James chapter one, verses two through seven. Trials. God in his providence sovereignly has different trials come into your life. And these exercise your faith. They exercise your faith so that you will grow in your trust in the Lord. Scripture, prayer, trials, number four, your church family. Your church family. How does that help you grow in your faith? Well, in your church family, you have real life examples of how others have gone through that. You can write down 2 Corinthians 1, I think it's verses, it's either 3 and 4 or 9 and 10. But there Paul says, I pray that you will be comforted. And the comfort that you're being comforted with, you will be able to comfort others also. When you're with your church body, you see examples of how they responded in trials. But you also get encouragement from them. Exhortation. Stop fearing. Only believe. You can pray together. What are some examples of things that cause us fear in our day and age? I hate to say it, but politics causes us fear, doesn't it? It does. So how do we pull this into practice? Well, what's the issue? Scripturally, what's the issue? What has God said about it? And then we need to pray. Lord, help us to stop fearing and only believe. So politics, we're talking about human rulers. What has God said about that? Who raises up rulers and who brings them down? God does. I'll give you some scripture here. Psalm 75, 7. Psalm 75, 7 and Daniel 2, 21. And you start worrying and fretting and doing this with your hands. No, oh, no, what's going to happen? And all this kind of thing. Is God sovereign? Yeah. Is this a guarantee that we're going to get good leaders? Nope. What is it? What is the truth? God will accomplish his purposes. And Jesus Christ will someday come and reign. And then we will have the perfect ruler. Another example 
financial hardship or job security. Inflation keeps going up, doesn't it? Your income might be at the same, it might go up a little bit, it might go down a little bit, but it sure isn't keeping up with inflation, isn't it? We get an email every day to find out what's coming in the mail, and we've been kind of watching that while we're gone. I saw how we got a, a, a mail received yesterday of our garbage bill. Oh boy, isn't that exciting? My garbage bill went up. To haul away garbage made me wish I was my grandpa. Grandpa never paid a garbage bill. He had 80 acres. Don't tell the EPA, but grandpa's dead now anyway. But he just took all his garbage to the back and dumped it back there. Man, it keeps going up. How are we going to do all this? Has God said that he will supply your need? Yeah, Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34. Do not worry about where your food's going to come from or the, fo- uh, the clothes on your back. Do not worry. Or Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. My God shall supply, richly supply all your need in Christ Jesus. Doesn't mean you're going to drive the latest and greatest car or you have the most up-to-date clothes, but you will be fed, you have clothes on your back, and it's not about those anyway, is it? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And maybe that's a check, something you need to think about. Am I living for these things? Are you living for clothes and the things of this world? You need to stop it if you are. You need to live for the Lord. But about health, sickness, death, you, your parents, your children, can God heal? Sure can, James 5.15. The prayer of faith, the Lord can heal. Does he always heal? Is it guaranteed to heal? No. He may keep you in that position so that you trust him and that you will follow him. As you're going through that time of sickness, perhaps the death of a loved one, is God, is Jesus no longer near? What did Jesus say? I am with you what? Always. And so you don't fear, but you trust him because you know he's near and his promise is true. What about the weather? Our culture wants you to be worried about life. Climate change! Well, I agree. Climate changes all the time. The, cli- the issue isn't climate changing. They've kind of twisted that. And they're trying to say it's global warming that's happened because I used right guard aeros- aerosol spray when I was a teenager. The aerosol spray is destroying everything. Or is that the ozone layer? I can't remember. It's your car. Doesn't God control all of it? Psalm 147? He sure does. Didn't God promise that he will keep this earth? Genesis 9? Didn't God promise he will destroy it someday? 2 Peter 3? He will. These are just examples. Do not fear. Stop fearing. Trust Christ. Trust his promises. Jesus' comforting command to Jairus here. This is a command 
That's comforting. It's not a pet answer. And it is not let go and let God. Maybe you've heard that expression before. The idea is, well, we just need to let God do his thing and we can just sit back and watch and kind of like be a bowl of jello. Just God will do his thing. No, there's commands that you have to do. You have to work hard. You have to watch your finances. Take care of your health. All these things. There's responsibilities wrapped up with your faith. But it's who are you relying on ultimately and trusting in. The better you know Christ, the less you will fear. It's not a one-time thing. It's a lifelong commitment. Continual. Don't let sin's curse limit your Savior. When you rely on Christ, the immediate circumstances might well be grim and dismal. But because of Christ, you know the end result ultimately will be great joy. As we read there in verse 42, they were overcome with great amazement. Christian, Do not be afraid, only believe. This is a comforting command. If you are not a Christian, you have much to fear. You have a lot to fear if you do not know Christ. A fear of being under God's judgment forever and ever in hell. But there's good news. If you trust in Christ today, now, you have eternal life when? Now. Today, trust in the Lord. 